Good morning, Sun West. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. My name's Colton. I'm the youth pastor here at Sun West, and it's my privilege to preach this morning. Um, but this week, my family, so like right after this, this week, my family, we are taking some holidays. And during these holidays, we're going to be doing some camping. Uh, we're going to Canmore, and I was looking at the weather, uh, and the weather looks like it's supposed to be a bit rainy. Uh, so for camping, that means that there's a little bit more uh, prep work involved. I don't know how many of you guys enjoy camping, uh, getting things ready, but it's actually, there's a lot of work involved with it. Um, but there's that prep work to make sure that we're equipped uh, for the rain and whatever comes our way. Uh, when I was in, just, just after high school, I went on a road trip with a buddy and we wanted to save money. So instead of getting a hotel room or, or something like that, we were like, hey, we found this rest spot on the side of the highway of where we were going that you could put a tent up. We're like, hey, you know what? We're going to put up a tent. That's where we're going to spend the night. We're going to save money. This is what we're doing. So we came up with our plan. Uh, so I was prepared. You know what? I packed the tents. I packed all the stuff that I needed so that we could spend the night. Uh, we get there. It's about midnight. It's dark. We finally get the tent set up. Hopefully we set the tent up right. We couldn't really tell. It was dark. Uh, but we go inside the tent ready to sleep. And I'm like setting up my mattress. I'm setting up my sleeping bag. I'm setting up my pillow. I'm ready to sleep. I look over at my buddy uh, and he isn't setting anything up. I ask him, I'm like, did you not bring anything? And all he had was a hooded sweatshirt and that's what he was planning on spending the night in was just a hooded sweatshirt. Uh, so I was like, man, are you sure you're okay? Like there's an emergency blanket in the car if that's what you want. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm fine. This will be good. I'm ready. Uh, about an hour into the night, like this is May long weekend, so it gets pretty cold. Uh, about an hour into the night, uh, I like hear the tent zip open. He gets out. Uh, he comes back with the emergency blanket. He tries to fall back asleep and all, it's, all it is is like crinkling as he's trying to move around. Uh, then an hour later, I hear the zipper again and he goes and he spends the night in the car. Um, his big problem there was he didn't prepare. Instead, he's, he left the adventure of the tent and he just went into the comfort of the warm vehicle for the night. Uh, another thing that you've got to prepare lots for is hiking. Uh, this past summer, I'm part of the Roots and Boots hiking group here at SunWest. So if you want a group, you like hiking, you should join the Roots and Boots hiking group. But one of the things about uh, the hiking group and hiking in general is you've got to prepare, right? You got to bring a bunch of layers. You got to bring a bunch of that kind of stuff just in case it gets cold or it rains or it snows on the top of the mountain. Uh, but right at the beginning of the season, we did Lady McDonald, which is in Canmore. So we climbed Lady McDonald Mountain, uh, and I went with Eli and Ben Burstad. So here's a picture of them at the top. But the whole time while we were driving to the mountain, Eli was like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. I don't want to slow you guys down. I don't know if I can go to the top. I'm a little bit afraid of heights. Uh, and in this, on this hike, there's this part that is a helicopter pad. Uh, that that's what the hike was planning on doing, which is going to the helicopter pad to stay there. Um, but I was like, well, if I'm going up a mountain, I'm going to go all the way to the top. So um, Eli was uncertain if he should do it. But eventually, he's like, you know what? I'm going to leave the comfort of the helicopter pad behind. Uh, I'm going to face my fears and Eli and Ben climbed uh, to the top with us and there's a picture of Eli and Ben at the top looking at the view. Um, and I'm so proud of Eli for just over, overcoming his fears of, uh, fears of heights and he just went for it. Um, and there's something that we can learn from there. So today we're going to learn a few lessons from the disciples. Uh, some lessons about preparedness and about choosing comfort. Uh, 
uh, over what is difficult. Because sometimes to get that view, you got to do what's what's difficult. So this morning we are in Mark chapter 14, 43 to 72. So if you're following along in your Bibles, I want to encourage you to get your Bibles. If you're going through the Mark journal, just grab your Mark journal uh, and we can follow along that way. So we are on the road to the cross. Last week we heard from Calvin who shared about the the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus understood his identity. He understood who he was. He understood the greater plan for the world, one not of anger and war and resentment, but one of forgiveness and love. Uh, Jesus was greatly distressed, but he knew it had to be done. Calvin ended the passage um, with saying this. Uh, This is where the passage ended last week. It says, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Um, so this this betrayer at hand, this is where we're picking up this week's message. So uh, oh, go back. If we're following along, I'm just going to read this passage for us. It says this, And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd of swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, This one, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against a robber with sword and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scripture be fulfilled." Uh, in this story, we see uh, we see one friend betraying another friend. We see Judas, one of Jesus' closest, right? He was one of the twelve. He was the one who spent life with him. Uh, he sees an opportunity to get ahead in life. For a quick payday, in all costs, was his friend. We see Judas kiss Jesus and the temple guards take hold of Jesus. Uh, it doesn't name it in the story in this passage, but in the other Gospels, we see that it's Peter uh, who takes up sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. But Jesus... Um, is not there to fight. Uh, Jesus knows a larger plan, and it's not there to cause a, reve- a rebellion. Uh, and Jesus actually just goes with the crowd. Here we have Judas. Uh, Judas is a name known to many that is synonymous with just being a terrible human being. Uh, but was he? Or did a bad decision or some bad decisions uh, mark him for the rest of history? Uh, so when we look at this story, uh, I mean, if we look at any story, uh, from Disney movies to Star Wars to Lord of the Rings, there's always a bad guy. Often someone has to be the bad guy in a good story. And that person isn't necessarily a bad guy. Maybe they're just the bad guy in that story. Uh, fate has cast them in that particular role. It's largely no one's fault. And most importantly, the overall story is good. Love and truth when in the end. Balance is restored and everything is better. Uh, Judas is a man under the employ of respected people. He did something questionable for a sum. Right? He stole. He betrayed a friend. Uh, quite often I like to consider myself and be like, oh, I'm a much better person than Judas. But when we look at that list right, of one who betrayed a friend, he stole. Uh, the only difference, um, which I think is something that most of us have done, whether it's going behind somebody's back or the things that we've said, uh, the only difference is that Judas happened to be born at a time and a place where that one friend that he betrayed became a much bigger deal later on. And luck would have it, now Judas's name is synonymous with being a terrible be- human being. 
But even that friend that he betrayed understood and expressed that it was all scripted. Judas was playing his part uh, in a larger role. So was Judas being a villain? Is he just a bad guy? Or was he just the villain for that story? Being the bad guy for that story? The difference is whether or not Judas can, employ, can embrace his role in that plot. Whether or not he can zoom out from that small role, those small bad decisions that he made, and fix his gaze upon the larger story. And, human, and humanity submit, uh, yeah, to submit his relative bad decision uh, for the service of the greater story. Judas had a hard time with this. And maybe him not realizing and submitting those small decisions, maybe that was his greater failure uh, than betraying Jesus. No matter who we are, we've all played that role of the bad person in our lives and in the world around us. There's all these little decisions that we've made uh, that, have, that have not benefited the world around us, but maybe it's hurt them, uh, hurt the world. And that's maybe there's things that we've done unintentionally, uh, but we've all played that role. Uh, we've lied, we've cheated, we've backstabbed, we've gossiped, we've added to the hurt in the world, and we have a choice to recognize our role, to see beyond ourselves that we aren't a bad person, but we've all made mistakes. Uh, mistakes that Jesus, in the coming weeks that we're going to learn, uh, forgives and brings about a new way of living. It's too easy to let those bad decisions mark us, uh, to, to create our identity, to make us feel like we are a bad person and we start to uh, believe that lie that we are not just, we've made small bad decisions, that we're, we're not just the bad guy, but also we're a bad guy. And we can start to believe that, that, there, that there's this shame that comes with us. Uh, even when we feel like we've, we've, um, what we've done can never be forgiven, that we are a terrible person, that we are Judas. Actually, God gives us a way out. We like to think that Judas was the only disciple that made bad decisions that day. Um, but as we keep reading, we realize that Judas is definitely not alone in those decisions. Uh, what we have next in the story is this. So once they took Jesus, uh, this is the response of the rest of the, the disciples. It says this, And they all left him and fled. That's what the disciples' first response was. Well, I guess the first response uh, for Peter was to fight. Right To fight for Jesus, to fight, to stand up, uh, to cause this rebellion. Then he picks up the sword, but Jesus actually puts a stop to it. He says, hey, that's not the way that I'm, I, my kingdom is all about. It's not one of sword or, or war, but it's one of peace. It's one of turning the other cheek. And with this Peter, right, that was his response, and he didn't know what else to do. What else can you do in that situation? Um, so they fled. Uh, and they all, yeah, they all fled and they left Jesus there. These are the same uh, disciples uh, that Jesus has invested so much time into. These are the people that he walked with uh, for the last three years, if not more. The same people that said they would die for him just three year, three hours earlier, and now they're fleeing in a time of crisis. Uh, they have proved their prediction false and proved Jesus is true. Being a disciple is one who follows. They spent time. They traveled. They lived. They went with Jesus. He even brought the disciples into the garden with him. Uh, they were there physically, but were they actually really there with him? Um, the disciples abandoned Jesus in Gethsemane. Uh, they were with Jesus no longer. I find it ironic that the same disciples that left everything to follow Jesus have now just left Jesus completely. Now here's this part of the story that uh, at first I didn't know how to address uh, I'm going to read it, and then I'll, I'll, I'll share why, right? So it says, um, it's about a young man who flees. It says this on verse 51, And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. 
uh, first reading this, I'm like, how does this actually fit in the story? I'm like, is this supposed to be some kind of like uh, comedic relief that we read in like Shakespeare plays or whatever happens in any of the Marvel movies when things get really serious? Uh, there's somebody that just says this joke just to lighten the mood. Um, but I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's what's happening here. Um, but when I actually, I didn't know how to address this passage, but as I was looking into it, I realized, man, there is a ton in this passage uh, that we can learn from, that we can grow from. Uh, when the disciples flee, we have this unnamed man there uh, with Jesus dressed in linen. Uh, the people are saying that maybe he's just dressed in linen because he was just in such a hurry and a rush that he didn't have time to get ready, uh, that maybe he saw the guards and he followed followed the guards because they, he knew that they were heading to Jesus. Um, but Mark you know what, there's a, there's purpose to the story that Mark wasn't the careless writer, uh, that he's got purpose and significance and symbol in all of the stories that he shares. So what what could this all be about? Who is this naked man? So when we look into it, uh, there's a few theories. But who is this guy? That this is only in Mark's gospel. It's not found in any other gospel. So who is this guy? Um, some say that this passage is in there and whoever this guy is, he's fulfilling some kind of Old Testament prophecy, uh, that there's Old Testament passages that, uh, that relate closely to this story, and that, and that might be true. Um, it could symbolize the shame of the fleeing disciples, right? It's a greater picture of how the disciples felt when they left. Uh, it may show the extent of the disciples' failure, right? They left everything to follow Jesus. Now they left everything to flee, uh, some say it represents baptism, right? It's this baptism of us um, dying to our old selves, uh, being baptized naked, but coming back to life fully clothed, new in Christ. And I think all those things are good. Uh, those are all good meanings. Um, but when we look into it a little bit more, there's some, there's some uh, evidence to show that the naked man, the young man, could actually be John Mark himself. Um, so the actual writer of this gospel could be John Mark himself putting himself in the story. When we actually look into the language of the other Gospels, we look into language of Acts, uh, whenever this young man, the same language is referred to, it's actually referring to John Mark. Uh, so maybe it's John Mark. But people will say um, that, ah, you know what, John Mark, he probably actually wasn't there, so I don't know what do we do with this passage, um, that maybe John Mark is actually just putting himself in the story uh, to show credibility, that he was an eyewitness account to the things that were happening. Um, and people are like, oh, I don't know if that's true, but I think there's something else that's happening here. I think Mark is not necessarily putting himself, if this is Mark, is not putting himself into the story as an eyewitness account, but he's putting himself into the story uh, to say, I relate. I was there too. I ran away too. Uh, it's like Mark is saying uh, at the point where all the disciples fail to follow Jesus, he, he followed along. Uh, I can imagine Mark saying something like this when he retells the story. He says, I know all about that. I've been there. My failure was no less shameful. But I too heard the, the invitation to meet Jesus again in Galilee. This fleeing, these fleeing apostles came back. I came back. And so can you. I can imagine that's what Mark is saying. It's this invitation to come back. So what seems like an insignificant part of the story, uh, something that I'm like, I have no idea what to do with this story, uh, it actually has great significance. The invite to all the disciples, uh, the ones that backstabbed, lied, betrayed a friend, denied, fled the scene, the invite is there. It's time to come back. So who took Jesus? Uh, so we see the, the, the temple chiefs and the guards that they take Jesus and they take him to this place called the Sanhedrin. 
uh, that we're going to read a little bit more about. So this is, um, these are the Jewish leaders, kind of the best of the best, that they get together and they make the decisions uh, for the Jewish people, right? They're under Roman rule, but the Romans gave the Jewish uh, religious leaders authority in the Sanhedrin that kind of appeased them to say, hey, we're not completely in charge of you. Uh, you can make your own decisions on everything but the death sentence. Uh, so the, these are the people that are, are taking Jesus and putting him on trial. Why are they putting him on trial? Because Jesus completely flipped their whole religious system upside down and that he was a threat to everything uh, they, that they once knew. So here's what we have. Uh, also, we have the scene of this trial. So this is going to be a little bit of a longer passage, um, but let's read it together and we'll, we'll go through some of the points afterwards. So here's how it goes. Jesus before the council. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up and in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the, and the guards received him with blows. And now we have uh, Peter's story here. Uh, Peter denies Jesus. So it goes like this. And Peter was below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warm, warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly, you are one of them. You are, you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse upon himself um, and to swear, I do not know this man whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will de- deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Um, here, uh, there's a lot that has happened. Uh, this is a long passage. It was like 20-some verses, and I know I could pick apart many different things that have happened in here, but I'm just going to share a few things uh, that spoke to me. Um, that right away, that this is two sides of a coin. Uh, Jesus isn't the only one on trial here. Peter is also on trial. Jesus and Peter's trials are two sides of the same coin. Jesus models one of faithfulness, while on the other hand, 
Peter models one of unfaithfulness. The rooster crows and Peter, Peter weeps. So the trial of Jesus. Uh, when Jesus is asked many questions about what he did, what he said, uh, who are all those kind of things, he remains silent. Uh, he didn't answer. Um, and that you can see, right? They're bringing all these false testimonies. It's making them frustrated uh, and angry. And they're trying to find these things to convict Jesus of death. Um, but once Jesus is asked about who he is, are you really the Son of God? Are you really the blessed one? Uh, and as we see in other parts of the gospel, Jesus stands up for his identity and who he is. And he says, I am. Right? The same words that God has spoken many years ago to the Israelites. Uh, I am. That he knows his identity. He knows who he is. He knows that these very words are actually going to lead to his death. But, his, but the difficult journey uh, is worth confessing his identity. He knew who he was. Uh, Jesus wasn't killed because he was misunderstood. Uh, it was because they understood him, but they rejected him. Jesus knew his identity, his purpose, and didn't stray away from the truth. Uh, the very words that caused his eventual death and the cross. Jesus was faithful. And then we see on the other side, on the other side of this coin, we have the trial of Peter. Uh, Peter follows Jesus and sneaks into the courtyard where he is asked some questions himself, right? The servant girl of the, the, the high priest comes up to Peter and looks at him and is like, have I, have I seen you before? Like your face, your face looks really familiar. You're, you're one of those guys who have hung out with Jesus. And Peter's like, nah, no, like I've got one of those faces, right? Like people just recognize my face. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Jesus. Uh, and the servant girl's like, no, I know I've seen you before. Uh, you are that guy that's been hanging out with Jesus and the other 12, right? Like you're with Jesus. And Peter's like, no, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Sorry, you got me confused with somebody else. Uh, but the crowd around, they're hearing this conversation and they're convinced too. They're like, no, we know that you are one of them, that you are a Galilean. Uh, and Peter just comes up with this answer uh, where he says, right, at the same time, where Jesus is on trial and where Jesus is confessing who he is, Peter is denying uh, who he is by refusing to confess who he knows Jesus to be. Uh, in his comment, I do not know this man that you are talking about, is a statement meant to be a lie, right? Peter is trying to just get out of it. He's trying to deny. He's trying to get this lie. Uh, but I don't think any truer words are spoken from Peter. Uh, that even though, uh, right, he doesn't truly, he doesn't really know who Jesus is. Uh, he knew who Jesus was, but he didn't know. He didn't know the plan. He didn't know who Jesus was. He missed it. He missed the mark. Uh, last week, Calvin shared about Jesus inviting his disciples to pray in the garden with him. Three times, right? Peter was one of those disciples that was invited with him. Three times, uh, Jesus found Peter asleep. And three times, Jesus denied, or Peter denied Jesus. Instead of courageously confessing him in the courtyard, he failed to perform because he failed to prepare. I don't think it's a coincidence that three times Peter failed to pray and three times Peter denied. They go hand in hand. Earlier in my message, I shared a story about camping and you got to prepare. Uh, you got to prepare or else we're stuck uh, sleeping under an emergency blanket and we got to go into the car. Uh, so in the same way as it is with camping, that's the same way with faith, uh, that we need to prepare. Peter needed to prepare to perform uh, Jesus asked him to prepare to prepare by praying. Uh, last week we learned that three times Jesus calls Peter to pray, and this time Peter had three opportunities to perform, to tell the truth about who Jesus is. But three times he chose to deny. Peter pa failed to perform because he failed uh, to prepare. 
So a disciple, what is a disciple of Jesus? A disciple of Jesus is one who follows closely. Uh, a disciple is one who follows closely behind a teacher or a leader. Um, so this got me, rem- uh, reminded me of a story about Mexico. Uh, so over my years here, I've had the privilege of going to Mexico many times uh, that we take students and other volunteers from SunWest uh, and some other communities down to Mexico to build houses for families in need. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Trent Burstad, he shared about the vans and the community and how awesome the vans are. Um, at the same time, the van ride is also a lot of work. Uh, to keep everybody in line, to get everybody going in the same direction. So Trent Burstad and myself, uh, we are in Alpha Van, which is the, the lead van of the first convoy. And our role is to be able to keep everybody in line and get people going in the direction in which we need to go. Uh, so one of Trent's favorite lines is this one. It's, uh, tighten the rubber band. Uh, so when he looks in the rearview mirror and he can't see the other vans, he says over the radio, he says, tighten the rubber band so that people uh, get closer together. Uh, so we've got a picture here, right? You want to look through your rearview mirror and you want to be able to see the other vans behind you. Uh, obviously not right on your tail at a safe distance because that's the easiest way to know that everybody's following, right? If they see you, we make a right hand turn. Everybody else makes a right-hand turn because they can see the van ahead of them. So that's what we ask, um, right? The closer you are, the easier it is for everybody to follow. Um, and that's really easy on like the plains of the prairies as we're driving down, but that becomes really difficult in cities like LA where it's like tons of traffic, tons of lanes and gets really busy that quite often other cars will get in between us and we won't be able to see the vans behind us. Uh, so we bring walkie-talkies. I mean, what a silly word, uh, walkie-talkies. But we bring walkie-talkies uh, so that if when you can't see people, we go on the walkie-talkies so that we can still communicate, right? But but the walkie-talkies too, they only have a certain radius of a couple kilometers. So when people get too far behind, uh, all of a sudden the walkie-talkie signal becomes weak and then all of a sudden they can't hear it at all. And that's when we start to lose people. And that's when things become difficult. Uh, so it, especially in Mexico, the best way to follow is to be able to see the person ahead of you. And if you can't see the person ahead of you, at least be in range of the walkie-talkie so that you can follow closely. The same is with the disciple. Uh, following close is important uh, for a disciple because that's the only way to know where a leader is going and to follow in the footsteps of that leader. Um, in this story, uh, we actually see this shift in language. Uh, Peter, at the beginning of this uh, beginning of the story that we've had a couple weeks ago, the beginning of the, the, the journey to the cross, we see that Peter is really close to Jesus. Uh, even while they're sitting at the table, uh, the Last Supper, uh, Peter says this, right? He's really close. He says, even if the other disciples, even if they all fall away, he says, I will not. I am close to you. Uh, we see that journey through Jesus and Peter in their journey, uh, that, that Peter is always close to Jesus, right? He's close. Uh, he's following in the footsteps of his leader. He's following the footsteps of his teacher. But all of a sudden, we have the shift in language. In this story, right, Jesus has taken off all the other disciples. They flee. They're gone. Um, but Peter, what he does is he follows. But he doesn't follow closely. He actually follows at a distance. And Peter had followed him at a distance. That Peter is slowly uh, stepping back, not just physically, but he's actually stepping back with his association with Jesus. Right? He denies Jesus. And then we see this, that we see, uh, right, instead of going into the uncomfortable situation where he sees Jesus as being falsely accused, what he does instead is he seeks comfort. He doesn't go into the hard and difficult journey. He actually just seeks comfort and warms himself by the fire. 
in that story where Eli, he could have just seek comfort. He could have just stayed at the helicopter pad and it would have been good. But what he did is he took the hard journey uh, to the top to overcome his fears, even though he knew that journey was going to be difficult, um, to get to the point that he knew that he wanted to get to. Right? Peter knew where he wanted to go, but he was too afraid to take those steps. And instead, uh, he, so, he took comfort. And he didn't do what was right. Peter's proximity to Christ actually dictates, di- dictates his decisions um, and his denial. Right? His proximity to Jesus was also not just physically, but it was also relationally. And it was spiritually as well. So what are some takeaways? What can we learn from this passage? What did I learn from this passage? I think I'm just going to share some things uh, that spoke to me, and hopefully those are some things that spoke to you as well. Um, the first one is this. What does it look like to prepare to perform? Uh, when I was younger, I took piano. And I wasn't a big fan of it. I wasn't a big fan of doing piano lessons, but one thing that I really did like uh, was seeing progress made. Where at the, at the beginning of the week, we had lessons on Tuesdays. My teacher, right, we'd, she'd give me this song and she'd be like, learn this song uh, and then play it for me next week. So I would practice, I would learn the song, I'd play it next week. And man, there's like satisfaction of knowing that you did a good job, that I did it. Um, but the weeks that I chose not to practice... Uh, and then I would just try to fake it to make it during the piano lesson never worked. I don't know if any of you guys have taken lessons, um, but all of a sudden I'm trying to hack my way through this song and it just sounds terrible. Right away, my teacher would just, would know that I didn't actually prepare. Uh, and I think this is something similar to the story, right? Peter did not prepare for that situation. Uh, to perform. And I know, I know that a relationship with Jesus, uh, is not a performance. Um, but I know that there are things that we can actually do to prepare. We can prepare uh, for all circumstances in life. So what does it look like to prepare? What does it look like for you to prepare? What does it look like to get closer to Jesus? What is he actually calling you to do? And I, and I don't think that this is like, a, this works for everybody. I think everybody actually, there's different ways that people pre- prepare because everybody's just on a different journey. Uh, so I know for me, one of the big things, when life is difficult, uh, when life is tough, I've got a response like the disciples. I flee. Uh, I want to be alone. I don't want to be with anybody else. Um, but what we see here, uh, for me, uh, one of the things that I need to do to prepare is actually be with people. Uh, as difficult as it is, I need to let people into my life. I need to be vulnerable. I need to be open. I need to engage in community. I need to engage in a small group. Uh, for me, it's also, and I notice this, when, I don't, when I'm not in this habit, uh, my life feels different. I need uh, to try to take 30 minutes at least uh, of my day away from my kids, uh, which is real. It's hard. It's hard seasons. I used to do it first thing in the morning, and now my kids are awake way before I ever want to be awake. Uh, so to be wake up before them is a difficult thing to be able to, to spend time reading, uh, reading scripture, to be praying, to actually listen to what the Holy Spirit wants for me that day. But for me, that is a big thing to prepare. I need to be spending time with God. I need to be spending time. And when I do, I notice my life is completely different, that I'm, that I'm not just trying to chart my own path, but instead I'm actually just looking ahead. I see that van ahead of me, and I actually just follow. And I can actually just follow without thinking, and I'm following the direction in which uh, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are leading me. What does it look like for us to prepare uh, so that when the time comes that we can actually just perform, uh, that we can actually just walk and follow closely in this relationship with Jesus? Uh, another one. Uh, is to accept the invitation. As we look back on this, as John Mark fleeing, um, that I came back and so can you, what does this look like? Even Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, fled. 
Uh, if Peter fled, right, I can believe that I'm one who's going to flee as well. Um, if Peter got fled when things got difficult, we best believe that we might, we'll probably do the same thing, or we might be doing the same thing. Uh, we can lie to ourselves and say, if everybody else flees, if everybody else leaves Jesus, I won't. I will stay. Uh, Peter said that he needs to admit it. Uh, yeah. And put ourselves in the place of the disciples. Um, but there are a few things that we can do. Uh, when things get difficult, we actually have a choice. Uh, do we seek the comfort or do we, and get further away from Jesus as Peter did? Do we seek the, the denial? Do we seek the distance? Do we seek the comfort instead of doing what's right? Or do we even get closer? Do we get closer to Jesus even though we know that that might be difficult? But what ways are we fleeing? Uh, I think there's many reasons why us as people, why we, we flee. Uh, and for the first one, for example, I think is this. I think we flee because we feel like Judas. Um, that maybe that you've done things or you've made decisions or you've made choices that you regret. Uh, that you feel like you are a bad person. Uh, that you've there's put on so much shame that maybe you've betrayed a friend, that you stole, that you've put others down to raise yourself up. Um, maybe you feel like you are always the bad guy and there's no way out of it. So you're just accepted that role. Um, that you don't, if, if other people just knew what you've done, they wouldn't want to be your friend. So you just flee. You stay away from people. Uh, that there's this so much shame that comes with it. Um, but that invitation to come back extends to Judas. It extends to people who have made those mistakes. Uh, that God actually wants to give you this new life and this new identity. Uh, maybe we flee because we feel like Peter. Uh, that we feel like we know what's right. Uh, we know uh, how to make the world a better place around us, but that isn't always the easy way. Uh, that it sometimes is actually a difficult way. Uh, that we can actually feel threatened in that way, so we actually just chose comfort. And in that comfort, right, we just, we've got so accustomed to it um, that sometimes there's just this apathy of, no, this, I'm, I'm okay where I'm at. I don't feel like I need to go any further. So we keep ourselves distant uh, from Christ because of that fear of what that actually will mean. Uh, for our lives, that Jesus is actually calling us to respond. He's calling us to be close. Um, maybe we flee because life hasn't turned out the way that we thought. Uh, the disciples, um, they expected Jesus to be a certain person. They expected him to come and take control and be in charge of Rome and all that kind of stuff uh, to set uh, the oppressed free. And Jesus did. He did. He came and did that. Um, but he did it in ways that they didn't think. Uh, he did it in ways that they couldn't imagine. Um, so maybe we're the same, um, right? When things didn't go the way the disciples thought they fled. Uh, maybe your life isn't the way you thought it would be. Uh, maybe you're not uh, where you thought you would be, uh, the job that you thought you would be, uh, the parent you thought you would be, um, right? The sibling you thought you would be, the child that you thought you would be, um, whatever that might look like, and you've just chosen to, to distance yourself, uh, to distance yourself uh, and to flee, not just from your family or whatever those look like, but to flee God. And to say, ah, I just, I'm not where I thought I would be. Um, and whatever that looks like in your life. Maybe um, it's not things uh, that you've done, but maybe it's actually things that have been done to you uh, that makes you want to flee, that you've been hurt. That maybe you relate more to Jesus in the story than you do Judas. Maybe you felt like you've been betrayed, uh, backstabbed, lied to. Uh, and maybe that's even happened inside the, the walls of a church or the church community. Uh, that somebody who is a Christian uh, has hurt you. And in that, you're just like, then I want nothing to do with it. Uh, and you fled, and you've backed away, and you don't want anything to do. But I think uh, there's many different reasons why we flee. These are just a few, um, but there's just this invitation. All of us, I think, can relate in some way to Judas. 
all of us can relate to some way in Peter, right? All of us, life hasn't turned out just exactly the way we thought. All of us, we've been, we've all been hurt. Um, to all of us who've, who have lied, who have betrayed a friend, who have put ourselves above others, to all those who life hasn't gone the way we planned or have been hurt, to those who have decided uh, the easier thing to do is to flee, to seek comfort, uh, we can follow the example of disciples. We can follow the examples that John Mark said. Uh, so I think there is something incredibly powerful about that passage of that man fleeing, and it's this, uh, right? So if the disciples say this, is we came back and so can you. Um, so whatever your life looks like, uh, we have this opportunity to respond to what Jesus is calling us to. To not be stuck in shame, to not be stuck in hurt, to not be stuck uh, living just in comfort. But Jesus is calling us to so much more. Uh, to find our identity not in those things, but find our identity in Him. Uh, so if we came back, so can you. Um, yeah, let me pray. Lord, thank you for these lessons that we can learn. Uh, thank you that the disciples were humans. Uh, Thank you that we can relate. Um, Thank you that even though we go through those things, either if we've hurt people uh, or we've fled or we've seek comfort or we've, uh, yeah, life hasn't turned out the way that we thought or people have hurt us, Lord, that there's this invitation to actually just to follow you, uh, to come back, uh, to see you uh, like those vans, to actually tighten that rubber band, to actually get close, uh, that our, our lives actually reflect the way that you lived. And in that, there's so much freedom freedom away from shame, freedom away from hurt, that we find healing. Uh, Lord, so I just pray that. I pray that for myself, uh, and I pray that for us just as a community. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, worship band. Uh, To close, we just have a few takeaway questions. Um, So to have this discussion, maybe in your small groups, maybe at your watch party, maybe with your family or whoever you're watching this morning with. Uh, But here are a few questions that you can either, maybe even just ponder these questions in your devotion time, in your practice time. Um, So what what are these questions? Number one, uh, in what ways do you relate to Judas in this story? Uh, in what ways have you made decisions in your in that that's maybe marking your life? What ways do you relate to Judas in this story? Uh, in what ways do you relate to Peter in the story? Uh, that you, maybe you've denied Christ or you seek comfort over doing what is difficult. Um, another question is number three: Do you feel like you have distanced yourself from God? What are practices you can put in place to follow more closely? What works for you? Uh, what works for you might not work for the next person. And we just need to ask God, uh, spend time listening to see what practices do we need to put in place to follow Christ more closely. And fourth, in what aspects of your life uh, is Jesus inviting you to come back? What aspects of your life is Jesus inviting you to come back? Uh, that I know that we talked all about the uh, that, we fl- that we're fleeing. What ways does Jesus want us to come back? And I know with that, there might be some uh, some thoughts or some hurts or some pains or some shame and some struggle uh, that you're working through with those things. And if you are, uh, we just want to encourage you. Here's a community, even though we're online, we want to encourage uh, that we pray together. So I've just put uh, the prayer email at the bottom, sunwestprayer at gmail.com. So if you're somebody who's seeking and looking for prayer and connect uh, to connect this week, I just want to encourage you to send an email and we would love to, to pray with you. So thanks for tuning in uh, and have a great week. Thank you.